Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Cinema Podcast. I am one of your co-host, Henry. I am your other co-host, Matthew. And today, we're doing movie and TV moments where they just went for it. You know, big risks. Uh, big kind of just, I guess, in my mind, it was like a, a fuck yeah moment. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, like we're doing this now. This is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to be discussing that this week. And having lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I just want to mention and do a little plug. Uh, we do have um, Instagram and Twitter account where we do every other day reviews and weekly podcasts. Uh, so keep in contact with us over there. Um, the Instagram account is called at Marvelous in our Podcast. So yeah, go, go go over there and give us a follow if you like. Uh, like our posts, give us, a, give us like a read because I've got a few reviews uh, out. Um, and also we're doing the same thing over on Twitter. Um, at Cinema Marvelous, we've got every other day reviews and weekly podcasts. Um, so yeah, give us you know a follow or a retweet or whatever, uh, or can you give us a review on um, the whatever service you listen to this podcast on? Um, yeah. So, do you want to get started with your first kind of moment? <laughs> oh boy, do I! <laughs> boy, do I! So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna dive straight in. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go, go. I'm gonna go with Fringe. Right. <laughs> All right. So I've. This is this is the first episode we've recorded since I actually finished watching. It. I've mentioned it before a few times, but I can I can now speak with full authority. <laughs> this is probably for me one of, if not the, you know, one of the best sci-fi programs out there, mm-hmm. and it is an absolute crime that people don't talk about it as much as they sh- as they should do. <laughs> Um, it it is. You may as well rename it "Swinging for the Fences" the show, <laughs> because it is impossible to sort of pick one moment. Because every season, it feels like you 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 start watching it and you're thinking, "Sure, surely they can't they can't up the stick." Oh no, they have. They've <laughs> they've, they've gone for it. Mm. Um, things are constantly changing. It's a show that. Never really stands still, mm-hmm. um, and you have this. You have sort of this first season, which is very. When I've seen people talk about it, or reviewers or anything like that, they they all seem to use the word X Files. Yeah, because it is very much in that line of monster of the week, weird sciencey thing going on. The boys, mm. the, the the boys and the girls go in. <laughs> right. They uh, they sort things out and. And that and, 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 and that's that for, for twenty one episodes. Mm-hmm. Um I still really like it, I still really enjoy it. I think it's really fun. And it, it's not that does that doesn't make it you know, people don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. But I think that sort of rather formulaic structure may have meant that people didn't tune in for se- season two, which was mm. a huge mistake for them. <laughs> right. Because it kind of it kind of sort of frees itself in a way, mm-hmm. and in that position, it enables it to, to just sort of do whatever it wants. And it's not—it existed in sort of like a weird, a weird, a weird situation where it never—it was never massively popular, mm-hmm. like um, like like Lost, which was yeah. in, in around the same time, mm-hmm. or or you know more drama-based series like Sopranos, or even even the X-Files themselves, it was never that level of popularity, mm-hmm. which both... It sort of 
meant that it was always on thin ice. Yeah, was it was it a show that was always struggling to get the next season? Mm. But at the same time, that also is kind of helps it become as great as it is, mm-hmm. because it has it had um, quite a dedicated uh, following, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't a massive following. Yeah, um, and as a result, you always have the situation where there because one of the problems with Lost was they they kept on getting renewed even if they didn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> they kept on having to stretch this story about these people being on this island. I mean, from, from what I understand, they do it fairly well. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's definitely a problem. It was definitely a problem for the X-Files. Yeah. Is that it results in you having eight seasons and you reach season six, maybe six, seven-ish. And mm-hmm. it sort of starts to get a bit, well, where are we going? And kind of recycling things. Yeah, sort of stretching itself too thin. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd love there to be more seasons of Fringe. <laughs> but it meant that we have all these seasons where each season they are... You, you can imagine the thought process is, well, we may not get another one, so let's mm. do what we can. Yeah. Um, and the end of season four, towards the end of season four, they insert an episode which is definitely them saying, please, for the love of God, who knew us? <laughs> um, because they, they they set up the the final season and you know because they did sort of get cancelled sort of, sort of cancelled at the end of season four, mm-hmm. but then they were given an extra half season to finish things off. Yeah, and as a result of that, it's weird thinking about it. Thinking back, it's not really a five season show. Mm-hmm. It's four seasons and this weird big high stakes finale miniseries. You're right, okay. It's, it's complete the seekers as as well from, from from what I've seen from what people have said, it's very much a season where not everybody was super keen on what they did in the final season. Mm-hmm. Because it is each season's a, a a massive leap from the previous one, but season five is like a massive departure. <laughs> <laughs> it 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 full on it full on goes for the it has like a full on mini series serialized format, which is kind of what the show became. And one of the, one of the things that's the best about it is that there are twenty episodes, but they absolutely nail the monster of the week format. Yeah, and you feel like each episode is progressing you, which yeah. is something I have I have never seen in a twenty episode season in any other show before. Mm-hmm. And the remarkable thing is, it never loses that momentum. Mm. I and think I mean, I think you, I think I heard you mention that like they use the monster of the week format to kind of make a, a character arc for like one episode. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, you yeah. have a really heavy thematic weight to each episode, and you can see that each case has has a real meaning for each character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that that's that's one of the. And it just, it just, it just absolutely just goes for it. I mean, even if you watch the first season, and you watch the finale. That is probably the first major glimpse of what the show becomes and what the show does. Uh-huh. In that you have this massive twist at the end, which changes your understanding of several other character dynamics. Right. Um, and that's probably 
why the show is good at what it does with the swinging for the fence, swinging for the fences, and absolutely going for it, taking massive risks because mm-hmm. it does, particularly <laughs> at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. It takes a massive, massive gamble, um, mm-hmm. and going to, going to season four, going to season five, each time it's like a bigger, bigger risk. <laughs> they do something. It's like, oh, is that going to work? <laughs> Um, I mean, it absolutely does because the main the main reason for that is that it always uses it to explore the characters. This big change isn't just a change, and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's move on." Mm-hmm, yeah. They they make a change or they make a big decision. They stick to it and they show you something with it. Mm-hmm. Because start of season four, you have you effectively have a soft reset, right? And I I, I was certainly the mind where I'm sort of watching it and a few episodes in. And it sort of clicks with you that something that happens, this isn't going to go away in the first few episodes. <laughs> this is going yeah. to be like a major thing. And yeah, one of the things that it has a knack of doing is it'll do something and it'll sometimes maybe even play a slight bit of a long game with it. Not a massive long game, maybe a handful of episodes. And you'll think, mm-hmm. do they know what they're doing? <laughs> and then you'll hit. You know where they're going. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll you'll hit this very specific episode, and you'll think, "Oh my god, I get it. <laughs> I get what they were doing." Yeah, and that that moment is absolute sheer euphoria, and you realise what's going on and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, and one of the sort of the, the other ways in which, in my from, from my limited understanding of the X Files, because I've seen. I know a few things that happened, but I've seen they did a few more recently. They did a few seasons, maybe, maybe even five years ago now. Yeah, they did uh, two, an, an extra two shorter seasons, which I watched at the time. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding of 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 that, Fringe bests X Files in one sort of key area, mm-hmm. and that is the fact that it keeps changing. Because the X-Files seems permanently shackled to the idea of an alien invasion. Yeah, whenever I've ever seen, like on TV, an episode of X-Files, I'm, just, I'm always kind of like, oh, it is the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, it, they, it, they look older, but same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then things change, but it's always very much shackled by that idea. Yet in, mm-hmm. in Fringe, it's like, oh, we have one big thing. Oh, oh, you missed it. Oh, we're moving on now. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, and that's... That's that's one one way in which it 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 handles that development way better, and also as well, um, the thankfully the the main the main uh, the main pairing within the show, the 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 will they won't they relationship doesn't take eight seasons to develop like it does in the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got I've got a few other notes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to try to read. And yeah, that's just sort of. If I could, my dream job would be to write on a show like Fringe. Yeah, because it sounds like it's just come in a room with an idea and we'll we'll work it out. <laughs> Everybody just having the best time. You can clearly tell. Yeah, and it's just wonderful. And the the finale, which I watched a week ago, is there is no better description than the word perfection. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm going big with these words. <laughs> Big word, big word. <laughs> the final sort of frame or the final few shots, they are very inception. Inception, oh it's not, okay. it doesn't have the amb- it doesn't necessarily have the, the all that ambiguity of the inception ending. Right. But it has that big 
final shot. And that's something he sort of... Sorry, I just knocked my mic. Um, <laughs> it's one of the things, you know, you, 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 when, when you're told about writing and about f- sort of filmmaking, or especially when we were, you're sort of told the importance of, you know, the last thing on the screen is the last thing your audience is left with. Mm-hmm. And this shout absolutely nailed it. The very last thing is just... It's 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 the kind of thing where again I'm trying I'm not going to spoil this because my main mission is to make as many people watch this as possible, and mm-hmm. the best way to watch this is to not know anything, right? Yeah, because you will be blown away consistently. <laughs> but you have this perfect. You have uh, ordinarily you have this last shot which is it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? And then it does another shot. <laughs> which takes it to that perfection level. Yeah. <laughs> and people, people that, you know, if, if you end up watching it, you'll know exactly what I mean about this. Mm-hmm. But it's just that you didn't have to do that extra frame, but because you have, brilliant. <laughs> um, the finale just had me in tears, I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Not just yeah. the, the ending ending, but there's, there's a string of scenes that mm-hmm. midway through... Where characters like having like the, it's it's the, the peak and the pinnacle of their emotional development throughout the whole show, mm-hmm. and I'm just I'm just bawling. Yeah, because hey, there's this little thing happens it? and you think you start tearing up, and then it sort of ends. You think, oh, I've done it, I've survived it. Oh no, <laughs> no, here we're gonna have this scene which is gonna rip my soul out. <laughs> um, is it an ending which because the way the Inception kind of idea is very somewhat ambiguous the ending mm. is it an ending which i guess wraps up things or is it more kind of a uh a, a half wrap up <laughs> that makes no, sense everything is wrapped up oh okay right okay um yeah every, everything is perfectly wrapped up it, it, mm-hmm. it, yeah it, every every place where each character ends up you you feel like yes that's that's where they, where they belong to be and you yeah mm-hmm. it's 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 also one of the, one of the shows where it doesn't necessarily spell everything out for you, right? Which yeah. I think which I, I think is great, and you know you have this perfect ending as well. In this final season, it's shorter and it has less of a budget, mm-hmm. but it absolutely doubles down on everything the show tries to be, and that's just a show. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's a show about love, mm-hmm. and it does Fringe does exactly what it does exactly what sci-fi was meant for. It explores mm-hmm. these deeps sort of human emotions and human, human. I suppose the human condition. To be all technical <laughs> about it, it explores that fully using these out there sci-fi things with three absolutely phenomenal lead characters and actors. Yeah, yeah, and a cow. And a cow. A cow called Jean. <laughs> I love that you've been texting me about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, for like a for the entire like way through, I think, um, and you've never once mentioned a cow called Jean. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a major character; it's just there. Yeah, in the lab, right. it's a cow called Jean. <laughs> all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's been really it's been really interesting, kind of watching you, um, kind of go through the show, and I think like every season at least you. At least text me once, like Henry. I swear to God, this show, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just every, every every time you think, oh, there's nowhere else to go, it finds a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These, uh, whether it be absolute weird episode that just comes out of left field because it has like a, a tradition where it's like every 
nineteenth episode of certain seasons, it goes weird. There's a musical episode. Oh, there's that's an animated episode. Oh, there's an LSD fueled animated episode. In the final <laughs> season, even though it doesn't have a nineteenth episode, the ninth episode has a Monty Python type cartoon. Right. <laughs> um, right. And. The, the 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 other weird episode, you know, it's best. It's I can't really explain it without spoiling things. Mm-hmm. But trust me that it's weird and out of nowhere and brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not like the entire show. Mm-hmm. Out, out, like kind of out of nowhere and brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a perfect yeah. description. So would you give it a, a 10 out of 10 or a better than X-Files? <laughs> For me, better than X-Files, better than, better than a lot of sci-fi shows. Because I've also been watching other sci-fi things at the moment recently. I watched The Expanse. Oh yeah, you started that, yeah. Which people people seem to love. Um, I'm not I'm not in love with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, other, other sci-fi shows, you know, they, they, they might give it everyone for its money, but I think Fringe absolutely deserves to be talked about as one of the best. Yeah. Um, well... <laughs> it's been quite uh, you've been waiting for this moment is there anything else you want to say because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff oh no I think I'm I think I'm I think I'm done I've I can yeah I'm glad I've got that out there uh, I would say I think it's kind of a shame that I'm only hearing about the show to this extent like now mm. with you watching it because I honestly like before you uh, started watching it I vaguely knew the name i didn't even know it was a sci-fi show like that's how much i didn't know about it and how much people don't talk about it it seems mm-hmm. um so i think that's probably the biggest takeaway from me as a person who hasn't watched it yet is that it seems like a big shame that it's not the biggest well at least a, a big sci-fi show in, on level with you know your, your losts and your other stuff mm, absolutely <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a real shame that never reached that level mm-hmm. yeah so I guess we would have to recommend everyone to watch it because mm-hmm. watch it now. Yeah, do it now. <laughs> put us in the background. Put us like in low level volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and then just oh yeah, can't break. can't turn us off off. No, no. Give us a review. Give us a like. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Um, but yeah, do we move on? We can move on. You're your first one. I feel bad moving on from this show. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I've got one that we're both watching at the moment. Um, a TV show that is, I continually surprised me, but it was, I think, a very specific, and it's probably going to go down as being a famous moment, I, I imagine, of uh, just kind of going for it. Um, I want to talk about Invincible. Oh, okay. Um, the new TV show that's coming out at the moment mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime. Um, uh, yeah, so that first episode, <laughs> incredible stuff, and I'm uh, obviously talking about the, I guess you'd call it like when the show kind of reveals itself to you, <laughs> um, and I, I think it's, I want to talk about what, what, I, what my opinion was before that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion was very much, this is very good, I like this a lot, I don't love the animation, um, but I do... Uh, I have, uh, I don't know, it looks a bit too clean and sharp for what the show actually is about. <laughs> um, but I did really enjoy it, and I thought, I can't wait to see where this goes, and I can't wait to see what this son-father relationship is going to be like, and 
what's the what's all this business of all these different like side heroes and all this sort of stuff. And then like <laughs> the credits hit and you're thinking, Oh, it's over, okay. That's gonna I'm gonna watch this every Friday now, gonna be a Friday ritual. Mm-hmm. And then the credits kinda of stop happening almost almost like instantly. And then like a scene just kinda of starts. You're like, Oh, we have post credit scenes, this this is, this is fun. <laughs> um and then imagine like if you haven't watched it, I guess go <laughs> similar to Friends, go watch it now and come back maybe. Mm, yeah. Um, I think it's it's something that you need to not know. You need to not know. <laughs> because it, it fucking shocked me. <laughs> um <laughs> it really got me. Um it's like imagine imagine if Zack Snyder got to make his evil Superman movie <laughs> and he got to make it R-rated and he got to also kill all of the Justice League in one big scene. It's essentially that, but it's out of, it's so out of left field. <laughs> it's just like the dad, the superhero, superhero dad character who at this point at least has been seen as the para, like the paradigm of goodness and honesty. And he's very much the Invincible Universe's Superman, Superman mm-hmm. character. He is, you know... Seemingly like a perfect guy and just kind of a normal guy at the same time. He's a dad, so he's a husband. And then he just, out of nowhere, kind of pops in and brutally, and I mean brutally, like brutally kills, I think, like six other superheroes that are uh, not at all aware of what's, what's about to happen mm-hmm. and who were at least implied to be like his friend. Um, and I think it's... I think it's, yeah, it's on one half the shock of it, but also I like the way it's captured and it's weirdly kind of quiet. It's kind of just, there's not really a score or like an unsettling kind of music behind it. There's no real, nothing really calls attention to the fact that this might happen throughout the entire episode aside from mm-hmm. a few kind of shots that last a bit too long on the dad character, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he comes in, and he like crushes the man's skull, <laughs> and then I think the most horrifying kind of holy shit part was when um, he like I think he like snaps uh, I think Warrior Woman is what you called her um, neck backwards, and like her body is facing one way and her head the other way, mm-hmm. and like oh my god that's brutal. And then whilst you think oh yeah that that'll be it for her then I guess she just kind of coughs up some blood. <laughs> But whilst the head's like the wrong way, <laughs> and it was terrifying and also kind of like, and then with the credits like actually happening from that point on, like the scene ended and the credits rolled like after that, and kind of going, oh, I, I get it, <laughs> <laughs> I I get why there's so much love for this show, uh, this comic book at least at this point, mm-hmm. um, and. God damn, how do you feel about that episode, like the first episode, and how much of this? Surprisingly, just out of nowhere, went for, like went for it. It, oh, I don't even <laughs> because because you know obviously I haven't seen the the episode that come after, and I haven't mm. I haven't seen the latest one by the way, yet. Mm. It's very good. Oh, good. Um, I'm, I'm I'm gonna watch it after this, but um, and there are a lot of like mini battles where, you know, there's quite still quite a bit of blood. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkable how the first episode absolutely removes that. Yeah, like there's up until this point, there uh, is there's no there's there's no even a drop of blood. Yeah, 
Um, you know, there, there is a battle, but nobody, nobody, nobody dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it is removed of all this. I think the only the only explicit related thing that happens is a thing that Mark sat on a toilet. Yeah, at one it's point. not. That's it's it. kind of like a bit crude for a superhero show, but nothing out mm. of the ordinary. Um, um, and so, because obviously you're watching it, and at the start it comes up with rated eighteen. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and you're watching this, you get about half an hour, forty minutes, and you're thinking, I don't understand. Yeah. Have they got the wrong rating on? <laughs> yeah, it might be like a twelve or a fifteen out of push. <laughs> yeah, and then you get you, again, like you say, you get to the the title credits, and I was like, oh, hmm. I mean, because I'd I'd heard there's like a massive shock that happens at the end of the episode. Yeah. But I w- I was sat there thinking, have I missed it? Yeah. <laughs> what was the point? And then and then they all arrive in the same place in the the, the superhero headquarters and then Omni Man mm. arrives and you think I think I know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and but the way it's that it doesn't immediately happen. Mm-hmm. Like you have a little bit of a fight beforehand. And then I think it starts with um is it Red Rush? Yeah, I think so. I think he's the first one to try. <laughs> um, and the absolutely horrifying him trying to punch Omni-Man and he's worn away the uniform and then his wrists start breaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you think, this is getting a bit grim. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. his head explodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's not just the shock of it, it's just the fact that you're sat there thinking, holy shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is going on? It's the element of like, oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. There's more stuff. Oh, there's more. <laughs> I, I also thought that there was a point where it was sort of um, maybe two thirds of it are through, and I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe two of them are going to get away because mm-hmm. there's um, there's a point where um, I think it's um, the, the the version of Wonder Woman. Yeah, because they're all uh, several of them are clearly based on the Justice League. Yeah, they're very much like one guy is very much versions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there's there's her and the guy that just I I wasn't actually clear on what his power was. Mm-hmm. Just a guy that punched things. But there was those two, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe they're going to get away. Maybe mm-hmm. this is it. No, they don't. They, really they do don't. not escape. <laughs> <laughs> they... Oh God. Um, and you have to understand that you haven't, if you haven't seen this and you're still listening to this uh, spoiler talk, I think it's important to mention how nice the dad is before this. Oh, yeah. Like, he's so in love with his wife. He is such a, like, a generally a good father. He has his reservations about being... He has, like, he has like those weird kind of slight moments of he's not happy about his son being a superhero because... Mm-hmm. And I think back then, I think at least at that point, you kind of assume it's more like oh, your son's now going to be fighting people for the rest of his life, and that's going to be his entire life now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of understand it from that point of view. And then once you see him do all this, you're kind of like, maybe it's more like he has to kill his son now. Because <laughs> you don't know... Because again, we're still like, quite, I think like seven episodes into it now, and we still don't know why he's done this. No, we don't. Um, um... It's all quite just ambiguous and kind of just... Maybe he's just pure evil and he's really good at pretending. Um, we don't really know yet. Um, I think there's the, the natural comparison where you can compare him to Homelander. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But there's just something different. Mm-hmm. 
There's something there very much. Homelander, especially in the second season of The Boys, is mm. very much. He's not really pretending anymore. No. He's just being a dick no matter what. Yeah. Whereas Omni Man is very much. It doesn't feel like he's pretending. Mm-hmm. Like he feels like he's this this whole lovely family isn't a cover. It feels like this this lovely family is genuinely him. It's just that on the side he's a superhero mass murderer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, as well, knowing what I sort of had been told and watching the episode unfold, I thought this big shock thing would be that the dad would get killed at the end of the episode. Yeah, I, and then the way, principal I had... would have to sort of step in and step in to fill the mm-hmm. void. Yeah, I. But I didn't even have. I didn't even know that there was going to be a big twist. Did you not? I had no idea. <laughs> I just thought. I totally assumed that. Because I heard a lot of love for this for this um, comic book for a long time, mm. and a lot of hype around the idea of Zac Efron playing the main character. Um, oh yeah, in an actual like live action movie. Um, then I heard an animated series, series is happening, and I was like, oh, I'll probably get around to it then because I don't. I, I have. I do read comic books, but like, I don't buy them often. If that makes sense, I just kind of get them yeah. on like once a year. Um, but I was kind of excited for it, and I thought the subversive kind of unique thing about it was just the fact that it was kind of adult and kind of a bit subversive mm-hmm. it wasn't to me like from my understanding it wasn't like what it ended up being <laughs> um, at all it wasn't like the main character is a murderer or at least the main supporting character is a murderer mm-hmm. um and and i think i want to say that i think the big going for it for me was that the big going for a big point was the idea that it was like the credits hit nothing twisties really happened and then it happens after the credits mm. like it's just an important thing and i love that there it ends in a super i don't want to say generic because it's still like i would say it's very well earned like the idea of the superhero finally saying his name and then the mm-hmm. title comes up um and you're like oh so the superhero is now being established and it's been a good first like hour episode i really enjoyed that um the credits Okay. Oh, I hear that's not music. That's like a wind noise. Whoa, what's going on? Oh, <laughs> there's more. Oh, good, good more superhero stuff. No, no. <laughs> um, people die, and it's really fun. Um, and I think I can't wait to see where it goes <laughs> because um, it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll probably talk more about it next week when we know the ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's just such a such a captivating thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Also, I find it really amusing. A little bit of trivia that I sort of have for you. All the um, all the people that are the, I think they call them the Guardians, are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the voice voice actors for the Guardians are all um, Walking Dead cast members. Oh, are they? Oh, yeah, and they all get killed. So they are indeed <laughs> the Walking <laughs> Dead. Because, mainly because well, um, the comic is created by Robert Kirkman, who also created the Walking Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard that. Uh, but also, like, the cast around the, across the board is incredible. Oh, it is, it, and there's yeah, so I'm, many of them. <laughs> yeah, the amount of time I paused the show, I went onto like the cast list. I was like, "Damn, that is that person." <laughs> mm. I, one of the one of the one of the things that I both loathe and love about watching something on Amazon is that you can see who's in the cast mm-hmm. just by pausing it. Yeah. Um. And so, I'll literally, if there's a voice, someone that comes on, I think, oh, who, who's that? 
like the, the last episode I watched, um, which was the one in the university, mm-hmm. I think, oh my god, it's Ezra, that's, that's Ezra, um, Ezra Miller and Jonathan Groff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah, so it's, and also I started watching Atalanta. Oh. You know, the Donald Glover um, show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I cannot unhear Amber. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forever the voice. He's <laughs> also in Joker, one of our favorite yeah, films is. of all time. <laughs> she is, yeah. Um, also, yeah, I think good year for Stephen Yoon. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he in Walking Dead as well. Yeah, he was. He was Glenn. Yeah, the famous. Glenn. The famous. Popeye. Even I know what happened to Glenn. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I just think it's. It's show you should definitely be watching. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of incredible at the moment. Um, and I, I criticised before quickly the the kind of animation of kind of being a bit too kind of simple. Um, but I think in retrospect and the actual content of like the show and how much it's going to dark corners, I kind of love that contrast now. Mm-hmm. That kind of clean, very... I don't want to say generic, but kind of, you know... What do you expect a superhero TV show to look like? And I love that kind of cleanness and kind of sharp lines and kind of very simple character design kind of offset by this gruesome, every once in a while, kind of terror of what's actually mm. happening. <laughs> I, I also um, feel like the violent, violence it seems, it just seems extra and even even more violent when it's animated for some reason. Yeah, there's something about... I mean, especially people saying this specific like person, but the when the Red Russ's head gets crushed, it's just like a because he goes from like a very you know a clean animated superhero face to an eye poking out <laughs> and like a skull caving in. Um, it's not like it just just explodes. But there's like there's all the brain and yeah, yeah there's a lot it, of stuff. Because <laughs> because we also we're getting a lot of this point where you have. Shows or shows that tackle a genre, and one of the main things they're sort of being built on is that they are gritty and violent. Yeah. Two of the biggest examples being, like I mentioned, Expanse, which is it's Star Trek but violent. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and in the Boys, which is superheroes but violent. Yeah. Yeah. Both those sort of live action things you have these really gritty, gory things in them. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's just something different. And something uniquely unsettling about it being animated. Yeah. There is, yeah. There's definitely... The sharpness of it. Yeah, I think there's... I feel it a lot more, I guess, when compared to The Boys, for example. It's a show that I do like. Mm -hmm. Um, In The Boys universe and the colour grading and the kind of desaturated look and the handheld cam and the the rough characters who are always swearing and all that, you kind of expect the blood and guts. Mm -hmm. It's not... That it 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 works in that universe, but it I don't think it surprises you the same way no, an animated superhero show does <laughs> doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just think this is definitely a show that is going for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you want to move on to uh, your next yeah, one? I can do. Um, cool. It's actually a pretty neat segue um, to moving mm-hmm. on to The Walking Dead. Hey. <laughs> um. Professional podcasting. Yeah, we are. Um, and so this, The Walking Dead, for me, has numerous examples of taking huge risks 
or taking big risks and doing stuff um, and it working and also going for big things and it not working. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so one of the sort of the major sort of big things that, mm. you know, is, is, is clearly the absolutely going for is there's, there's, there's a general, at least before I watched this, there was a general understanding in my mind that there are just some things that just don't happen in TV mm-hmm. shows. And one of them is that kids don't die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That changed when I watched The Walking Dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so there's a, there's a there's quite, quite a famous one from uh, season two. Or they were actually quite famous. But there's a famous uh, moment where Sophia comes out of a barn. Um, as a zombified kid walk, walks out of a barn. They've been searching for her all season. Mm-hmm. And she walks out of this barn full of zombies. And it's a, it's a brutal moment. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. Because you, th- yeah. you think... Ah, oh, they're not going to kill a kid. They're going to find her. Nope, dead. <laughs> nope, actually it's, super dead. <laughs> and it's it's actually like a, a really brilliantly because the, the the way the whole season's set up, it's a brilliantly living moment because it's sort of Rick, Rick is Rick's fault that the girl ran off, or or he he thinks it's his fault that the girl ran off, um, and they've been searching for her all season, and you have this moment where she comes out of the barn. And the just sort of the the depressed reactions of everybody, um, and the fact that the tragedy of the fact that they've been searching for all this time and she's been dead all along, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a brutal moment for season two. It's sort of like a massive, a massive moment. Yeah. However, it's not as big as one that occurs. Or it won't, actually, no, that's unfair. It's just as big, but perhaps not quite as shocking. As something that happens in season four, <laughs> right? Um, so this, do, do you mind me talking about spoilers for this one? Uh, no, I I will probably watch it at some point, but I don't think it'll be soon. <laughs> okay. Um, so you again spoilers for season four. There's someone I was talking to somebody about um, a couple of months ago, and they said it's very much like of mice and men. I've never read the book, not that book. Mm-hmm. I was forced to um, at school. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in the other class. The other class were forced to, to read it. I was um, I was to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so and apparently she said apparently it's very very similar to something that happens in that. But um, at the start of the season four, there's a big break in at, the, at their at their camp, and this yeah. this man gets bitten and dies, and he has two daughters. Uh-huh. One's slightly older than the other one. Um. Mm. And Carol, who's one of the one of the main characters of the show, is sort of tasked with taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And he she promises this dying guy, I'm gonna take care of your kids. Yeah. Um however the, these one of the kids is obviously a kid during the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So she develops <laughs> rather unusual perceptions of how things work. Yeah. Um and she 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 starts to believe that um, people being reanimated and coming back as walkers, it's just a part of life. And so she's doing these really weird things mm-hmm. throughout the season, and it sort of culminates in... Season four has like a, like a, a fractured uh, narrative where everybody's sort of scattered, and each episode focuses on different things. It's, it's an ambitious format, and one thing yeah. that I absolutely love the season four, it's my favourite season. An Empire Strikes Back sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's probably the perfect way of describing it. 
Yeah. Um, and so Carol is with these two kids, and they something happens, and they get scattered from the group. Everybody's scattered, and absolutely batshit craziness happens. <laughs> right. All right. It's it's taken from a comics. It's obviously adapted from the comics. It's different to the way it plays out in the comics. Different characters mm-hmm. fulfill different roles. I think I've talked about it in the past in that one of the amazing things about The Walking Dead is that it adapts the storylines quite faithfully, but sometimes it's not the same characters doing certain things. Mm-hmm. Like certain certain deaths will happen a certain way, but it'll be a different character from what it is in the comics. Right. Um, and other things, it's just a different character doing something. And yeah. I think in the comics, the character um, in Carol's place, it's, um, it's Carl, who is Rick's son. But mm-hmm. in the series, it's Carol. Um, so that they're off on the run uh, with these two kids. Um, mm-hmm. And then the older, slightly unhinged kid stabs and kills her sister. <laughs> right. Believing okay. that um, she'll come back. Everything will be fine. Oh, oh no! Um, no, obviously she doesn't because she's dead. <laughs> um, right. However, that's not the worst part because mm-hmm. Carol, <laughs> mm-hmm. Carol takes the little girl out into the field, tells us look mm. at some daisies, and shoots her. Oh, oh no! It, well, that is very much a uh, massive man. That is the ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just this moment where you're watching and you're thinking, surely not. <laughs> They're not going to do this. Everything's going to be, oh, nope, she's shot her. She's killed her. She's dead. You promised a dying guy. <laughs> um, just shot the child. It's a really emotional moment. I feel like I've portrayed it in a comedic light. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like the way <laughs> when I saw laughing, it was more like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's, it's quite again. It's quite a famous moment from the thing. It's um, she's like Carol sobbing and she's saying, "Look at the daisies! Look at the daisies!" Bang, dead. Yeah. Um, and there is another one. It happens in what is probably one of my favourite episodes of the show, one of the later seasons, where um, the whole village gets overrun and this little kid gets absolutely devoured. Mm. Yeah. Um, by by the walkers, and that is also brutal because you're watching it and you're thinking, "What the fuck? <laughs> Why? What, what's going on?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that's when The Walking Dead is at its best when it has that that brilliant shock of, "Oh, that, okay, that then. what the fuck moment." <laughs> yeah, um, where it's not at its best is the no less ambitious decision. Of having the war with Negan take place over two seasons. Right, yeah. And it's, I've heard about this. <laughs> and it's the case of, I can see what you were going for. Mm-hmm. I can see the thought process. I can see why you've done this. You mm-hmm. want, you want, you know, it's 2016, I think, 2016, 2017, 2018, that period. Yeah. Everybody's doing two part, two part things. Twilight is doing it. <laughs> Um, probably the wrong example. Hunger Games are doing it. Harry Potter's yeah. done it. Uh, Avengers technically doing it. Yeah, the Avengers are about to do it. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you not want to get in on that goodness? Yeah. Um, and so I admire the fact they, they went for this storyline knowing it was big and thinking we're going to do this massive all-out war storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, 
However, because in the comics it's not actually that long, mm-hmm. what you end up with is four episodes of looking at empty shelves. <laughs> really? Um, maybe not four, but there, there yeah, this reminds me a lot of uh... season seven. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, it's weird that it reminds me of, um, for some reason, a, sh- a show going for it, but also stretching it out. Reminds me of How I Met Your Mother <laughs> at the end, <laughs> the last season. <laughs> I think, I think I know reason, what you mean. Yeah, for some reason, that's my reference point where <laughs> stretching it out is the last season of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, it's it's the first star season seven is a lot of, oh, they've taken all our food and it's just Rick sobbing looking at some empty shelves. Yeah, I, I and that I swear I feel like that's how two episodes end, mm-hmm. um, con, um, consecutively, and it's you know it's a I think it's a joke at this point where, you know, we're going to go to war, but we're going to talk about it for three episodes first. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's also an unfortunate aspect of where obviously season seven comes out and people don't respond to it as well. However, you're in a situation where you kind of fucked it because there's not much else you can do. Yeah, no, you've you've yeah. committed to doing this over two seasons. People didn't like the first one. You can't really change that going to the second one. Yeah, you kind of on a you kind of off like I don't know how to put it, but you kind of um, you screwed it. <laughs> yeah, um, you have. Um, yeah, and it it is an improvement. Season eight is definitely an improvement for me on season seven. I still yeah. enjoy the storyline because I can see what they're doing and there's still good things that undercut all this. But it's just a lot of standing about. Doing nothing. I recently saw something that I couldn't help but laugh at. Um, I don't know what season it is or where uh, where it takes place, Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it's quite a famous scene at least. Um, To seeing where like Andrew Lincoln, the actor uh, playing the character, his name is Rick Grant. There we go. Um, He's like crying and kind of being angry at his son, um, and kind of like. The son is kind of standing there looking really ashamed, like looking down. And it's just Andrew Lincoln gives some really good acting, kind of walking around almost in circles, kind of crying and getting angry and then calming down and getting angry again. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like watching it, but not with the audio. And I was like on Twitter, so I was like kind of like, I was watching the video, not the audio. Um, and I just started laughing because the little kid's like wearing this massive hat. <laughs> and it, it's really distracting. Oh, so he's quite young then. Yeah, yeah. He's I, th- I think I think like I know. A, I think I know what like this point this is. Mm. Yeah, it's it made me laugh so much because he's like he's like acting. He is acting like all the letters, <laughs> sparkly letters. He is acting, and then like the kids is there looking down. This big fucking dumb hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I felt bad for that. Like. The actor Andrew Lincoln, like, he had to like do all that with this kid. Um, but yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I think that's from season two, three. I think, right? I think yeah, that's that point my that insight into the show is this one scene, <laughs> mm-hmm. and also Glenn. For some reason, I know everything about Glenn, I don't know why. Yeah, I think oh, I, even beforehand, I knew about Glenn, namely, like I said, I knew what happened to him, yeah, because it was such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, he couldn't escape it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that's from. It's also one of the other jokes is that um, Andrew Lincoln is phenomenal in Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely love Rick Grimes. I love Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. Um, but there, there, there are some points where 
the accent is a bit. <laughs> bit it's much. not. It's not. Again, again, rather typical of what we're talking about this episode. It's an accent that they've gone for. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> however, there are some. It, I, I've no doubt they absolutely nails it, but there are some words which are just so memeable the way he says them. Mm-hmm. You can't one, quite one, say them yet. <laughs> one of the one of the big ones is that when he says Carl, name of his son, it sounds like he's saying coral. Coral. <laughs> as in as in the things you find underwater. Yeah. <laughs> coral. Perhaps perhaps one of the, the, the biggest jokes is um there's a scene where he's angry at his wife. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's going off somewhere. And she says, you know, you'll be able to find it on YouTube because I won't be able to do it justice. But she's saying, oh, where are you going? And she, she says he's busy. He's got, and he says, like he says things and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's just, I'm not, I'm not going to try and replicate it because it'll just fail spectacularly. Yeah. But just go and, just go and watch the way he says it. Things and stuff. It's like, it's, the way he says, like, it's like fangs and stuff. Fangs and stuff. <laughs> It was a bad day for him, you know. He's tired. Um, but yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love Andrew yeah. Lincoln. But yeah, yeah that's that's um, yeah, that's where I'm. Where I'm cool. with that. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move on to my next one, um, which was a movie that came out 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. It was definitely before the world ended. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about the movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, oh. Yeah. It's uh-huh. a movie that even without this moment where it goes for it, I would still really, really love. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, I'm a type of person where when it comes to Quentin Tarantino's films, I always go back and forth on which one's my favourite. It's I, I mean, sometimes it's Hateful Eight, sometimes it's Django, sometimes it's Kill Bill. Sometimes it's this movie, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but there's... <laughs> there is something I think universal about the experience of seeing the ending of this film <laughs> where everyone whether you weren't a fan of it or were a fan of it or whatever we all had that sad experience similar to Invincible I guess of like oh what the fuck <laughs> oh we're doing this um, it's it, I think it, it's I, I think the end the ending to this features one of the greatest payoffs something mm-hmm. that happened some of those seamless payoffs yeah it's it's incredible as like a, I think it's a movie that really surprised me when I first watched it because before this actual scene happened it was kind of restrained for a Quentin Tarantino movie mm-hmm. it wasn't it, you definitely have like you know year long conversations your kind of tension between very specific situations and you kind of had it did have its Quentin Tarantino-isms but it didn't have I don't know the killed Bill kind of out there, you know style or anything like that. It was kind of like the best way to describe it. I think is to say it's kind of a slice of life movie mm-hmm. where you literally watch Brad Pitt uh, or Cliff Booth, I guess, um, in his car. It could be Brad around. Pitt. Could be, yeah, it could just be Brad just... Pitt. <laughs> you kind of just watch characters go around in their car and then feeding their dogs and then going home and having a nap, um, and cameras sort of like. The cameras kind of used to make these moments kind of feel connected, even though they mostly don't really feel like they are on a script mm-hmm. level. Like we go from this great Korean shot from uh, Rick Rick Dalton, Rick what do you call him? Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton, yeah, Rick Dalton. Um, 
he's like in his pool like learning lines for the tv uh, the tv show and like we go from that in one in like one shot we go from that to the, the house party next door with Sharon Tate and all these other people um and it kind of connects the entire movie into one kind of oh I think I think we are going somewhere even though I don't mind not going anywhere <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> like I kind of would be okay with this movie if it was literally just the 1960s at their best you know and um, 70s um and it was and I think this moment is because I think this movie is kind of a perfect goodbye to everything Quentin Tarantino loves. Like, it's a movie that is about two best friends mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s in the golden golden age of Hollywood about to end. Um, uh, there's all these, you know, great production designs. They're shooting on real film. They're, you know, there's so many elements that feel authentic and kind of old school, but doing it now. And there's so much clear Quentin Tarantino love in this movie, especially compared to, you know, it's not just like a wink and a nudge towards, you know, Hong Kong action films with Kill Bill. It's more like he's just making a film that would, would get make back, made, uh, made back then, but he's making it now with that nostalgia on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of an amazing achievement for him, and I think it's a very much a different film for him. And I think the moment where the film is wrapping up and you know that something might be happening, but you're not quite sure. Mm. You know you, that you kind of you kind of know the story of Sharon Tate, the sort yeah. of horrific real story. Yeah, and you kind of you kind of have this moment of expecting like a Tarantino trope of, you know, blood and carnage, swearing, um, really like uh, like needle drops um, and alt- like alternate history where he is changing history for this mm-hmm. movie, and you're kind of thinking. I feel like that's what this, that's where this movie was going based on the trailers and the the synopsis. But if it didn't, I, I think I'd be fine with it because I'm enjoying this anyway about these two best friends in Hollywood. And then the movie has its final little scene, and it's I think again being the perfect kind of Tarantino goodbye to the audience. He's doing the things he does one last time at maximum for like ten minutes straight, and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I've never witnessed someone's head get smashed off a, a mantelpiece so hard in my life. And I've never, at the same time, had so much happiness come from that. <laughs> because, you know, yeah, there's something to be said about too much violence or too much, you know, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, they were actual, you know, murderers. <laughs> um, they were real people that were terrible. And also at the same time, it's so rewarding seeing Quentin Tarantino do shit like this <laughs> um, and the weird comedy of it like it's so oddly funny considering I, how much gruesome shit is happening <laughs> yeah I, I was watching this with my dad um, and it my, we, 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 we were at certain points we were boring with laughter mm-hmm. yeah because it's the I think it's the, the stretching out of the violence and the it's, it's, I think it's two things. I think it's both this, the shock of it and also the, the very kind of elongated, oh, he's, he's still going. You know, that sort of like, he's, he did that one thing, but he's done it 10 more times for no reason. Um, and I think the moment for me that made me laugh really hard and I knew I was going to enjoy immensely the next 10 minutes was when um, <laughs> Cliff Booth and the, the murderer guy, like they're talking about, I don't know, like something about the devil and um, um, Cliff Booth kind of being high on that, like that 
the weird um, acid cigarette thing. Um, he kind of just starts laughing at him, like hysterically, <laughs> like in a weird, like kind of wheezy, high laugh. Um, and then this, I think like the girl, like one of the the other the hench, henchwoman, kind of just like runs towards uh, Cliff Booth, and then out of nowhere, with like insane precision and kind of quickness, he just like throws like a can of dog food out of nose, and it's so fast, and it it creates so much blood out of nowhere, and her nose is so broken, and she for the rest of the for the rest of the entire scene, she is like waving around her arms madly. Um, and kind of just can't for some reason comprehend having her nose broken I think um, and it just escalates from there and and then obviously you know it ends in the most beautiful thing ever of uh, Rick Dalton getting his little flamethrower out and just torching that. her that was it's phenomenal. so great and then the, when he comes out as well and they play that kind of the music from the movie he got the thing from yeah like they play it for a little bit and like, oh my god, they're doing it. <laughs> um and then I love like the after effect of that of um how kind of casual they are about the whole thing. Um and... yeah, I, think, I think one of the best things I can't remember the line or, or what he says, but it's just Cliff Booth being bundled into the back of an ambulance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just something like, oh what I it, but I love the also the line where the next door neighbour comes out and um uh, Rick Dalton's like, oh yeah, so people try to burgle our house, and he kind of explains what happened, and it ends with him saying, oh yeah, and I, and I kind of I torched the last one, <laughs> 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 and then the guy kind of goes, you torched her, and he goes, yeah, well yeah, <laughs> and then they just move on from that. They kind of just go back up to the, they go to the the Sharon house, and it's, I think the payoff for me that works so well for it is. It is shocking and it is hilarious and it is everything Tarantino condensed into one ten minute scene. Mm-hmm. All the tropes, but you know you've been waiting at two hours for it and it's paid off so well. Um, it is so well constructed and all that, but I love the kind of the weird and surprising sweetness of the movie where it ends with that really kind of slow and kind of not really dramatic or obvious kind of shot where the crane kind of goes up from the driveway to the house and Sharon Tate's like alive and everyone's alive and they kind of go mm. into the household. For Tarantino, it's oddly sentimental. Yeah, I think that's what hit me the most about that movie was how it had everything you expect from Tarantino, but at the same time it was oddly kind of romantic and kind of sweet and kind of genuinely like trying to be nice, if that mm. makes sense. Like, yeah, I think... He has... Yeah. It, it, it feels like a, um, condensing what he said in the, a lot of a lot of Tarantino films. Very much feel like he's doing this because he thinks it's cool, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's just enjoying making it. Whereas this one feels different in that, especially with this sort of um, sentimental and affectionate ending. It mm-hmm. definitely feels like he's definitely doing this because he loves this era of films. Oh yeah, definitely, um, and I think. For me, even though I do love this this scene especially, I do love this scene. I do think my favorite moment in this film is just like kind of before the scene where um, um, Rick and Rick and Cliff are kind of getting off the plane and kind of going back to the household. Um, and that I think the Rolling Stones song um, "You're Out You're Out of Time" plays. Um, I love that moment so much of these two characters whose friendship is about to, is about to end and. The Hollywood is moving on from them essentially, and 
there's also this weird kind of thing where on a kind of a meta level, you know that the film is ending and therefore because you know for a fact that Rick and Cliff are fictional people, that what's essentially going to happen is they're not going to exist anymore and then in real life, the tragedy of that sort of real life events is actually going to be real mm-hmm. again. Um, I think that sort of mixture, uh, mixture and the slow motion, them kind of getting up to play and then the song playing is... And then also when that song is playing, we get one final kind of montage of Hollywood kind of having the lights turned on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it, I think that's the highlight for me for that movie. And then I love, obviously, the next 20 minutes of the film. <laughs> um, and again, yeah, the sweet, the weirdly sweet ending. Because I think if you, if you compare this to uh, Inglorious Bastards, which is a very similar thing of changing actual history in order to save lives, I guess. Um, comparing that kind of event where a cinema burns down with Hitler inside of it and he gets shot like a gazillion times. Um, comparing that to th- this version where at the end it isn't just the fact that we killed the bad bad people really brutally. It's also kind of the impact of that is kind of really felt this time around. Mm, um, yeah. And the kind of last shot is so... I, I think you put it perfectly, it's so oddly not Tarantino from what you expect from him. Mm. Um but yeah, but he, I think he, we're used to these films where pretty much everybody's dead by the end. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not with the old character that's still alive. Some mm. in some cases mortally wounded anyway. Yeah, but to have the main characters all just be together and be happy at the end, mm-hmm. very unusual. Very weird. <laughs> but yeah, that's my second pick today. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to move on to your next one? I can do. Um, mine, mine's a film. I've got a film to add. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's. Um, I think. I think you might have mentioned it before, but I can't one hundred percent be sure. It mm. is a film from a few years ago called "Sorry to Bother You." Ooh. Okay. I wanted to watch it, but I haven't yet. Okay. I won't spoil it. Okay. Um. So this has. It has a real. I don't want to use the word wacky because sometimes you say wacky and people interpret it as a bad thing. But it has that kind of wacky tone to it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of odd things from it. <laughs> mm, um, and it has... I think, I think I'd recommend you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I would. Um, I'm just going to bring it up on my computer so I can properly reference a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... It's almost sort of, it's not quite dystopian, I don't think, but there are sort of, sort of slightly dystopian aspects to it in that I think there's quite a large sort of, something to do with, I can't remember exactly, but I think it's something to do with unions and people protesting mm-hmm. about, uh, about things. And you have, and it's about, from what I can, these more basic plot-related details are often forgotten in my mind because of what happens later in the film. Yeah. Um, and the thing that happens later in the film is effectively all I can really remember. It just <laughs> drowns everything out because of how, just how so very weird mm-hmm. um, and bonkers <laughs> right. it becomes. Um, so it's about a, a telly, uh, not a telly, um, um, I mean, I'll read the thing. In an, alter, in an alternate present-day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers the magic key to professional success, propelling, it, propelling him into a universe of greed. Mm-hmm. 
So it's Lakeith Stanfield who is brilliant in everything he's in. So good. <laughs> um, again, he's in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he he. This film would not work if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. His his performance carries a lot for the for the for the the delivery of the more shocking moments later on. Um, the comedy, it's a best described as a dark comedy. I think mm-hmm. the comedy works really well, um, and you have the satirical aspect of. In order to become this successful telemarketer, he has to put on his white voice. Yeah. Um, and the way the way the white voice is done, it's done. It's done with a somebody else's voice is superimposed on him, mm-hmm. like his lips are moving, and and somebody else's voice is superimposed on. Yeah. Um, and it, it just that satire and that alternate reality aspect to it just work really well. Um, and there are little things like 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 the superimposed voice where you think, yeah, this is a bit wacky. You know, it's a bit. <laughs> We're going places. It's a bit, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit out there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm still enjoying it. Um, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you go to this this scene with um, with the now disgraced Army Hammer, mm-hmm. um, and it. I do not know how to describe it. As, as you can probably be able to tell during this, I am I am stammering. I'm stumbling and stumbling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're just there aren't any words, right? Really, yeah. that can do justice to the absurdity that occurs. Yeah. <laughs> um. And that's all I can really say. Hmm. <laughs> um. <laughs> Almost to the point where I think right up until the end it works. Okay. Is there a final twist? There's a, there's, there's a very final twist. I can't remember if it's even a post-credit scene. Mm-hmm. But there's a very final twist to it at the end, which I think don't, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I think right. it's a step too far. Right. <laughs> um because I, I enjoyed the absurdity and even the, the big sort of absurd thing that happens, I enjoyed it and I'm still along for the ride, but it's just the very final thing that happens I just think mm-hmm. is a bit leaves a slightly sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, I think the one review that I read for it that kind of stuck out was that I think someone said that it builds and builds and builds and it kind of explores a lot of things and then kind of goes nowhere. Um, with that, those things. Mm, yeah, I that's... think that's a very fair description. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think that's very fair. It's, it's also got a pretty, it's got a brilliant cast. It's Tessa Thompson as well. Um, mm. Stephen Yoon, there again, popping oh. up. Here we go. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. Wait a minute. Oh no! Oh, I didn't know that. Anyway. then... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, I think I'd still recommend people see it mm-hmm. if you don't mind stuff getting a bit weird. Yeah, I definitely want to watch it, but keep on forgetting. <laughs> I think it's on Netflix, so it was when I watched it. Okay, okay. Um, Try yeah. to find it. Cool. <laughs> Very walking around the actual <laughs> the plot there. I, know. I, think, I, think, I think I've nailed that. I think I've nailed yeah. it. <laughs> 
Um, all right, okay. So I think for my next one, I want to go for a big movie. No. Um, the maybe the biggest movie. Um, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, hello. Yeah, I want to go for this specific moment where I I always knew I was gonna love this film. I always knew from the moment it pretty much started that I was gonna, at the very least, greatly respect this film. Um, and then. I think the moment for me that I was like, oh, I, I love this more than I love most things in the world, <laughs> um, was this moment where this kind of, um, the scene that kind of takes place about 40 minutes in, mm-hmm. um, in which, uh, you know, Furiosa and Mad Max are, for the first time, kind of fighting together inside the big lorry thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... That they're going through the canyons and then they're going through like the sand dunes and there's these people on motorbikes following them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for some reason it was that moment in the film where it all didn't, I don't want to say it came together or something like that because it wasn't necessarily that like, oh, the plot makes sense now. It was more just, it was delivering on all cylinders anything I wanted the film to kind of deliver. Um, and it's, I think it's the, the, the mixture of Chunky XL's like score um, which I still junkie. To, junkie, great name. I was I still listen to this to yeah, till this day. This specific track beat where, because for the most part the track the the music is very kind of, uh, you know, hard rock, hard metal, and really kind of aggressive sounds. And then for this kind of one moment, and then from a few months from this point on, you kind of get this actual kind of melody that is kind of rare in this movie. <laughs> um, and then this melody is so great, and it's so like in tune with like the character rocks and. Mad Max and Furiosa finally working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that the film is so visual in every kind of way it can be. Like every every choice to do like with the characters or with the, the story is so not dialogue heavy, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. not it's not like, um, you know, let, let's explain to everyone what the, this world is about through a prologue or um, a flashback or let's not explain what everyone's doing in this big lorry and Furiosa's backstory in a big, um, in a big, you know, backstory thing. It's more or less just characters in a situation where we meet them in the middle and we kind of, kind of get a grasp on what they're doing and kind of begin to really root for the characters just through the pure action of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the moment that for me kind of stood out and made me like fall deeply in love with this movie was, this kind of very quick shot, but very poignant and kind of powerful moment where for the first time in the entire film, Mad Max and Furiosa are working together and one of them's got a sniper and one of them's got a handgun and they shoot the same guy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and they're like, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> this is a great moment. And I think it's, I love the work, them working together as well. Like the kind of, I remember at some point the the wheel of the car gets taken off, like the actual like driving wheel. Mm-hmm. And then they've got to work together to kind of get a wrench around the actual kind of mechanism to make it not, you know, drive into a, a cliff. Um, and there's all these great points where, and I think it's indicatively, indicative of the entire movie where there's a lot of action. It's, you know, you could easily say that it's a movie that's almost entirely action. But, ah, yeah, I think that's completely fair. Yeah, and it, but it's not just noise, and it's not a sound and fury, and that's it. It is, it's generally a way of using visual, you know, physical, like using physical ac- actions and character beats 
mixed together um, into one like story. Like it isn't like they have an argument, they fall out, and then they come together. It's like they meet, they fight, they almost kill each other. They have to come together to escape, and then gradually they work together really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all literally, literally all of it pretty much is visual because one half of the the characters can't talk <laughs> really. Um, Mad Max is kind of just not talking for the, most of the movie, um, and it's. I think it's a beautiful film and I think it's, for me, I would say it's probably the high point of big, weird, odd and totally bonkers blockbuster movies. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think it's also a perfect, an almost like kind of perfect blueprint for introducing like a new different sci-fi world to an audience. Mm -hmm. Um, There's plenty of movies that since this point and before this point have... I think for some for some reason like, the movie that always comes to mind is um, Valerian and the Planet of a Thousand Cities. Yeah. Or the other way around it might be. Um, but that's a movie that has a lot of great things in it. It has a lot of interesting ideas, concepts, character arcs, and things. But for the most part, it just kind of spends most of its running time kind of explaining itself to you. Um, kind of you know they all it'll start on something a bit wacky about then trusting you to get it, but then it'll spend pretty much the rest of the runtime explaining what that was to you mm-hmm. um and it kind of doesn't work and i think it's something that mad max excels in in terms of just don't fuck around don't just trust the audience <laughs> like if they don't like it they don't like it that's fine but at least you literally know you told the story within this universe without having to explain yourself um and it's a beautiful film it's incredible i think it's probably the best action film aside from Mr. Impossible Fallout to come out this past decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, the it's just so great. And I think it's pretty much perfect. And this moment, this kind of motorbike, motorbike chase um, where Furiosa and Mad Max learned to work together was the moment that was like the going for it moment. And it's actually, it's truly working. It's working on like all levels. Yeah. Um, would you agree? Yeah, I think... I can't remember if it's the exact moment you're talking about, but the moment where um, they have to use a rifle to shoot something very specific. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think uh, Max tries, and I think he misses. Mm-hmm. And then he decides to give the rifle to Furiosa, who hits the target. Yeah. This, um, yeah. I can't I remember the specifics, but I just remember that. And I just think, yeah, that's one of those things where everything is just working together. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of bypasses... Obviously, the, the conflict between Max and Furiosa is there. But it bypasses sort of the thing that a lot of action films like that struggle with, where mm-hmm. in in those situations, you have to go through really drawn-out relationships in that, oh, they don't like each other, and they're not going to like each other for an hour and a half of the film. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come to a point where they probably fall out. And I just I yeah. respect that, like many things that Mad Max does, it just bypasses that trope, mm-hmm. and it just says, "Well, we don't quite like each other, <laughs> but we're going to make this work because we need to." Uh-huh. Um, um, and it sort of helps with just generally how fast-paced Fury Road is. Yeah, it's something that constantly hits you with the next big thing, and that's and that's why it also works as an action movie. Uh-huh. The plot points are these massive action spectacles mm-hmm. and they work really well thematically with it within that to tell the story like you said it's not a film that uses dialogue yeah very, very often, often it doesn't really do it and i think it's 
I mean, because I, oh, I, really, I really love that joke where people say that the the plot of Mad Max Fury Road, really, when you think about it, is characters are in a van, and instead of going forward, they turn left. And that's the entire plot into one like inciting incident. And it ends with them, instead of continuing left, they go right. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it is, it's probably just, I think I love the fact that it's a film that doesn't kind of, I don't know, it's hard to describe about the saying that, I mean, for, I mean, a great example for me probably would be um, Nicholas Holt's character, like the war boy, mm-hmm. who starts out as some sort, as kind of like a dedicated fan of the entire concept of this religious kind of weird world where if you die a certain way, you get to go to the chrome heaven or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I love that he's so committed to that and you totally get that. And there is dialogue, don't get me, there is absolutely dialogue, it's not a bad thing having dialogue, but... Mm-hmm. But you get these amazing moments of just pure action from this character where he attempts to kill Mad Max or Furiosa um, and he completely fails. And from that, you get the entire arc of the character. And then from that, you get all these great little moments where he goes from helping him out or to save his own skin to actually helping to connecting to someone on the on the, on the the bus, on the on the van thing. Um, I don't really call it. I really don't know what to call it. Um, Tanker? On the lorry? Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know either. Um, and he kicks someone, someone, and then it ends, that entire arc ends with him um, finally kind of um, sacrificing himself for something greater than just some idiot going on and saying, if you die a certain way, you could, you can have chrome. <laughs> um, and I love that it's in the arc that's entirely, entirely total visual. There's no complicated backstory. There's no kind of the character having a moment where he's talking to someone. He's like, Maybe I am good, but maybe I'm bad. <laughs> it's just him doing things action-wise that are telling the story in between these big moments of big, bonkers spectacle. <laughs> um, and it just works so well. Um, but yeah, that's my third pick. Yeah, mm-hmm. third. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things I always remember about my match is that you also have that, that sort of icing on the cake of absurdity when you have that guy playing the flamethrower guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on top of the tanker and he just pulls a cord and bang smoke here we are we're doing this yeah <laughs> um it just it's just the, the, the aesthetic of it all mm-hmm. you just think this is so this is so out there and so outlandish but mm-hmm. yet feels so special it's also nice that uh, apocalypse film wasn't the saturated gray yeah it's, it's great it's actually, very vibrant <laughs> yeah it's, it's very saturated Mm-hmm, very, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those. It's one of them action films where you just can't replicate that. There's yeah. no possible way you could do that film again with a different form and have it work. Mm-hmm. I I'm only excited for the next one just because it's George Miller coming back. Oh <laughs> That's yeah, my it wasn't George Miller. Yeah, if it wasn't him. I'd be very worried. <laughs> mm. It it very mm. much feels like. Fury Road is like a passion project, which always bodes well, I feel. It feels like a 20-year-long passion project. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's my my pick. Um, Yeah, I I have one more. A TV show that I loved when I was watching when I was younger. It's on BBC One. I sent you a clip of the ending the other day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's called Merlin. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) So... um, if you, if you, even if you're not from Britain, I suppose, but if you're from England, I, and you're of a similar age to us, I guarantee you've probably at least heard of this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my friends were absolutely into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was this and Doctor Who. They won life. <laughs> uh, I think it was on a Saturday night. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think let me just find how, how long it ran for. I think it ran for about ran for a handful of seasons, maybe six, seven maybe. Yeah, it was in my life for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Um two thousand and eight, which whenever I see two thousand and eight as a start date for anything, I always think Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. The Dark Knight um, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dark Knight as well. Um, so yeah, there's five seasons. Um, and it is a... It just captures sort of the imagination and everything you want from that age to watch in a show. You have mm. mystical... It's like an origin story for the, the wizard Merlin, who is the assistant. The assistant. The house wizard, when it comes to... Um, the legendary King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they're sort of childhood mates. Well, not really childhood mates. I think Merlin's his servant. But anyway. <laughs> um, absolutely great cast. You know, you have John Hurt as the dragon. Mm-hmm. Who else would you want as the dragon? Maybe I Benedict mean, Cumberbatch. Maybe Saul Connery. <laughs> but John Hurt, who... Sorry? <laughs> Maybe Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery, Benedict Cumberbatch, and then John Hurt, who, mm-hmm. f- for a good while in my childhood, I could just hear his voice ringing through my head. Mm-hmm. And so you have you have this five seasons of really great, really great mythology as it sort of progresses. Um, some really sort of just... Obviously, you have... Just an excellent cast. You have Anthony Head, who's a bit of a... He was in Buffy, I think, but a bit of a legend in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have gone to do other things. I think Katie McGrath is quite a popular actress. Yeah. Um, and then Colin Morgan, who was in something the other day, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, but it's just such an enjoyable kind of, of show. And it's, it's remarkable for me that this was on BBC One. In England, yeah, but see, in that time period, because <laughs> other than this and Doctor Who, can you imagine the BBC doing a show like this? I nope. suppose you kind of have dark materials, but that's that's half BBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cannot imagine a, a British network having a show like this again now. Yeah, because at the moment it's just it's EastEnders followed by. Crime drama of the week. Yeah, it's, it's always crime drama. <laughs> um, usually, maybe it's John Sims. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's um, there was um, what was yeah John Sims won in one recently, and it just harkens back to that that sort of area of my childhood. However, <laughs> the ending is one of the weirdest endings to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird thing is, it's not. It's not even an ending where you can say that was that was terrible. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not necessarily a bad ending. Yeah. It's just. And <laughs> it's a choice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a choice. It's one that I look back on and I think, I can see what you're going for. Mm-hmm. I can see why you did it. Didn't quite work. Yeah, I think, from the clip you showed me, it was the, the absolute like. The suddenness <laughs> of the whole thing. Um, yeah, so you have this big, so you have the big confrontation between Merlin um, and 
Arthur. They've had this relationship build up over five seasons. You know, um, this really complicated and really well done narrative of Arthur's father hated magic, uh, mm-hmm. and Arthur was always different. And Merlin does he practicing magic, and it's his best friend, and he's keeping the secret from him. Um, Arthur's more open to it. Yeah. Um, until Uther Uther dies and is killed by magic, in which case Arthur sort of also takes on this anti magic thing, and. Yeah. You then have sort of the reveals as, as Arthur learns that Merlin is magic all along, <laughs> um, and you just have brilliant inter, in, inter from what I remember, brilliant inter character relationships, mm-hmm. and you sort of have this this pinnacle of this this build up where Arthur finally knows about Merlin, Arthur's sort of king, and they're going off to face Morgana, and you have this epic showdown. Mm-hmm. And what always strikes me weird about this is. Other than the clip I showed you, do you know much about how it ends otherwise? Um, I mean, from the one scene that was in the time period, <laughs> um, mm. I kind of understood that, you know, the the wife of Arthur was now queen, maybe? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm assuming then that Arthur dies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, which is really weird because this is always... This kind of thing is very much like a prequel thing, in my mind. Because when you think of Arthur, or sorry, Merlin, ordinarily, you think of this old man with a really long grey beard. Um, yet you have this, this ending where Merlin's still very much a young man when Arthur's killed and Morgana's killed. Mm-hmm. And then you have this weird ending where... It just skips forward in time to old man Merlin in the present day walking past a van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Baffling. it kind of yeah. It's like it's like the pre it's like a, a prequel to a movie or whatever, and they get to the point where it would make sense to do the the actual characters as they as we know them, mm-hmm. um, and instead they kind of wrap up the characters as we know them, and then jump ahead 400 years. <laughs> to when everybody but Merlin is presumably dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just... It was bizarre as a kid, and it's bizarre to me now. Yeah. It's a choice. Um, I don't think it's the like the worst kind of like bad choice. I don't think it's... Oh, no, bad. it's not. It's not. It's not, nothing that's inherently bad. Mm-hmm. It's just wow. <laughs> You're doing that. <laughs> it's just a bold choice. Yeah, it also feels kind of somewhat generic. Like whenever I hear about a show that's set in like really like you know historic time period where we have magical characters, I always mm-hmm. think it's going to end with, end with them in the present day. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, you would. Also... Yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of what you'd known to do that, and I feel like you, you probably could have wrapped this up in a better way where you are something closer to the Merlin and the Arthur that we know. But mm-hmm. you, you you don't. You've you've gone for this. <laughs> you don't. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> really, really yeah. weird. Going for it, but maybe not quite working. Mm. My last memory of, this, of the entire show, really, um, 
So I, I definitely didn't watch it like in sequence. Mm-hmm. I definitely kind of like came in and out of it, and I had no idea what was going on for the most part later on. But I remember the last thing I remember of it was Merlin coming out of a cave and being an old man. Um, and that's my understanding. That's like, in my mind, that was the ending and that was it. <laughs> um, but no, we have a van. <laughs> I vaguely remember that as well, but not as, not as clearly as the van. Mm-hmm. There's something to do with a cave at some point, I swear to God. <laughs> there's always a cave. Always a cave. Sometimes there's a dragon in it, sometimes there's not. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 all me done. That's me wrapped up. <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my last pick is a movie I'm definitely a big fan of, and the franchise I love too much. Really, um, I'm going to go for Fast Five, mm-hmm. which is the fifth Transform- tra- Transformers, the fifth Fast and Furious movie. Um, it is. Definitely the movie where they finally realised what they were. Um, Fast 4 tried to be like a grim thriller almost and not really an action film. The third one was, for me, a good step forward, but also it isn't quite what it is now, what the series is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is just the first movie again, but much worse. And the first one is just a odd, really odd time capsule <laughs> uh, that is... Kind of enjoyable. Um, but this fifth one is when the series kind of goes, if we're going to be doing more films, we might as well be doing this. Um, and it becomes a heist film where characters are suddenly, like, can kill anyone with, like, one hand. Like, they, they go from people that steal DVD players to people that can do kung fu. Um, you can have parkour chases, chases around, you know, Rio. Um, and they can do all these amazing things and the actual car races are kind of in the background and it's only, it's pretty much the heist was is the most important thing. Um, not really the, the racing or who's got what car. It's more or less just the characters and their, their them being a family and the big heist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the series definitely grows from this point. I do think the fifth one is... The starting point for greatness not necessarily the best one but it's i think i want to talk about the ending of this film and the moment where it went for it and i think this moment is what defines the series going forward um which is the actual heist itself um so a bit of pre pre kind of like information they spend like a good chunk of this entire movie trying to figure out how they're going to uh, rob this kind of police headquarters and get uh, the money that they need mm-hmm. um, and it's a really like laid out plan really like extra extra thought out plan they have somehow managed to involve cars um, everything's going on it's like also 11 but with cars um, and we have a plan and then like just before the third act happens this entire plan gets thrown into the into the spanner works and mm-hmm. we have no idea We've no idea what's going to happen because the plan's gone to shit. The rock is on our tail. He knows where we're going, what we're doing. Um, so the plan, with no real kind of build-up, but it totally works, is we will just get two cars and we will attach um, the safe to our car with a big rope. <laughs> and we will drive so hard and so fast that the we will just take the vault with us. <laughs> Um, and what ensues for a good like 20 minutes 
is just the absolute best Fast and Furious carnage in the world. It is two cars dragging along a big metal box and this big metal box destroys everything in its path. Um, and it's incredible. And I think the score, I want to say it's by Henry Jackman. It might be by Brian Taylor. It's either one of them. Um, there is actually, I think people don't realise this, there actually is a theme for the Fast and Furious team. Like, they, do, they do have a theme tune. And I always forget about it existing until I hear it and go, this is the best theme in the world. Because <laughs> um, they play it, and I swear to God, it, it works every time. And they, And I think the best part for me was when it ends and um, the ending is so perfect of how they decided to kind of finish off this entire vault heist uh, chase scene mm-hmm. where off camera, we don't realize until later, but off camera, they have switched out the, the vault for a fake vault. Um, I don't know how, I don't quite know when they planned this. Um, I think they, I think we're just meant to assume that they planned it off screen because they're geniuses. Um, and yeah, so they they pull along this vault into a, a moving truck and then put that vault into that truck. And I think the truck in front of it is carrying a different fake vault. And then they grab that vault with their little wire things and then go forward. Um, I don't think I so understand. I neither do I. Neither do I. But I love it. And it ends on this like massive, this massive kind of like bridge. Um, and... Uh, Vin Diesel's like, Brian, go, don't leave me alone. I'm going to do this by myself. You go with your wife and have your kid and all that. And Vin Diesel, being the hero that he is, does the most amazing thing in the world where he turns around, does a little spin. He's got the the vault. He's, he's the only one carrying the vault now because, you know, that's how cars work. They can just carry vaults. <laughs> um, um, and he's the only one carrying the vault. And he does this amazing thing. And the, the music is building so, so well. And he does this thing where he goes... It's time and he like <laughs> he presses like a red button next to his little car seat and then we see like a can of nos which in the universe of fast furious is, is like their their boost their boost button um it means they go real fast it's, it's pretty much like it's pretty much their dsx machina they use it whenever they need to to get yeah. out of the situation and he just says it's time he presses the red button the car holding the 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 vault kind of just like um it goes up in his hind in his hind wheels like it goes like on two <laughs> wheels and it, on, on the spot right and then smoke is like coming out the wheels and he's trying his hardest to pull this thing and then he, he finally gets the hang of it and he lands and he goes forward and imagine a bridge a car going one way and like 10 police off, police cars going the other way and the guy and the guy going towards police officers is just using a big metal box to kill them all, um, and that is what happens, um, and it is beautiful. And I think the weird thing that I kind of enjoy about it is the fact that whilst it doesn't make any sense, sure, I don't really care. I don't care. It doesn't make any sense. But the fact that it doesn't make any sense, and the fact that even though it doesn't really make sense, oddly the way that they play it with like the physics of how carrying something with a rope by your car and how that would work it kind of feels right like the way he drifts to move it is kind of like oh that i guess if we pretend that it's like a cardboard box i guess that kind of works but it's not it's a metal big vault but anyway um and it ends in this is so he uses he uses like the metal wire at one point to cut cut a car in half 
Um, there's just so much carnage, there's so much music blaring, and so much Vin Diesel like doing his, his weird groans, um, and it's it's a perfect it's a perfect ending to a perfect like soft reboot film. Um, it's I think it defines. I think for me the reason I love it so much is because it's like watching the Fast and Furious movies be born. Um, I always think like. I always think about the there's a moment in the first Bad Boys film um, where I think like oh we're watching Michael Bay be born where like he has this amazing chase sequence with Will Smith being shirtless in slow motion and there's so many wacky hijinks that are played completely seriously and so many random explosions and people are never clear it's never clear where anyone is ge- like geographically but they're all around in time and similar to that I always feel like I'm watching Fast Furious be born where it makes very little sense, but we're going to treat it seriously, and we're going to make it the most badass thing in the world. Um, and I just, I think it's a perfect moment in a perfect movie series. <laughs> um, have you seen this sequence at all? I have not. I cannot wait to. Please, please watch Fast Five at some point. And just... I have to finish Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, look, there's, there's, there is some weird movies to get through but once you get to this fucking heist and you see this this fucking this this big box <laughs> uh, it's amazing and I think it's it's the high point not maybe not the high point of the series but I think it's definitely the high point of this is what the series is about um, and I think it's remarkable honestly and that's my that's my final movie moments that just went for it. <laughs> that sounds remarkable as an, as an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh. like, they do, they do more crazy things like that since then. That's, I mean, like, the first just thing from, they Just do. from seeing the Fast 9 trailer. Oh, my God, yeah. I I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and you I feel like even if I space. had seen the films up to that point, I still wouldn't know. Oh, no, don't worry. There's nothing you can do to explain it to yourself. <laughs> like, I have watched every movie more than once, and even now, I I cannot predict where we are going. Who Who's actually dead? Who's actually alive? Who... Uh, I think we're going to space. I think we are. Um, I'm very excited. <laughs> but yeah, that's my final pick. <laughs> and what a final pick to go out on. Yeah. <laughs> my God. Yeah. We done? I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> fast, I... fast five with a fast five with a big old box. Yeah. Big old box. Big old metal box. With money inside. <laughs> oh, um, I can't forget the money. Yeah, because it's a heist, don't worry, it's a heist guys. We're gonna get away with this one. No one's gonna no one's gonna see us. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, yeah, so I'll take us home. <laughs> okay, take us home. Uh yeah, so hope you enjoyed that. That's a little little kind of episode about movie more that went big went mm-hmm. went take all the risks um i hope you enjoyed it uh give us a review or a like any way you can instagram twitter uh any podcast streaming service you're listening on uh mm-hmm. give us a little criticism constructive criticism we love uh, it. just to remind you as well we do have an instagram instagram account at marvelous from a podcast where we do every other day reviews and weekly podcasts um also got a twitter account where we do every other day reviews and weekly podcasts same thing over there um at Sonoma Marvelous Twitter account. Um but yeah, I hope you enjoyed and I hope you I hope you go and watch the big box. <laughs> <laughs> Just ram through some cars.
and then Merlin. And <laughs> Fringe. Don't forget Fringe. Go oh, yeah, Fringe. fringe. <laughs> What's that and Fringe, yeah. Uh, fringe. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. Yeah. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.